Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Today, we're going to have an in-depth conversation about COVID-19, the vaccine, and whether we as non-pregnant women should get it and if pregnant and breastfeeding women should get it. Let's start off with some facts. According to the CDC, pregnant patients have an increased risk of severe disease related to COVID-19, which is why they are listed in the high-risk category now. Women make up 75% of healthcare workforce, and it is estimated that there are 330,000 pregnant healthcare workers in the U.S. On December 11, 2020, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency authorization for the mRNA vaccine for use in individuals aged 16 years of age and older as a two-dose regimen given three weeks apart. The vaccine has been shown to be 95% effective at preventing the COVID-19 illness after the second dose. ACOG, which is the American College of OBGYNs, recommends that COVID-19 vaccines not be withheld from lactating women who otherwise meet criteria for vaccinations based on prioritization groups outlined by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. ACOG also said pregnancy testing should not be required prior to the vaccination. They also note that pregnant patients who decline the vaccine should be supported in their decision-making. To help me talk through the pros and the cons of the vaccine and how it affects the pregnancy and non-pregnant population, I have a very special guest and friend of the podcast and one of my personal friends, Dr. Tiffany Tonismay. Dr. Tiffany Tonismay is an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicines physician in the Tampa, Florida area. She received her doctorate of medicine from the University of South Carolina, did her OBGYN training at Virginia Tech Carillion and her fellowship training at Indiana University School of Medicine. She has an interest in education and simulation in medicine, which means she likes to teach people how to do fantastic things. Opioid use disorder, which means she likes to treat people who may have addictions to pain medicines. And periviability, which means she likes to take care of moms that may have a really high risk of uh, having babies right at that cusp of where they would survive outside of pregnancy, being that 23 to 20 28-week range. She is the proud wife of Matt Forrester and mama to her fur babies. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be here. I wish everybody could see my face because I've been listening to both your podcasts for so long and have been dying to be a member. So thank you. I I am so excited that you're on here. And people um, don't know, like... First of all, I have friends of the podcast and then I have friends that are real friends. And so whenever I have my real friends on here, I'm just uber excited. And Tiffany is a real friend. Like I flew cross country to be in her wedding despite the pandemic. I was masked up, though. I will say I was masked up. 
But I don't do that for many people. So Tiffany is definitely a dear friend. And she's also a fellow MFM colleague. So it's cool that we can bounce ideas um, and perspectives off one another. Well, this used to be our typical like Friday nights. Like, so I lived with Nicole for a month when I was training. She trained me. And we would just sit around drinking wine and talking about important subjects that nobody else would have these normal conversations on a Friday night. And eating popcorn. And eating popcorn. Of course. Which Tiffany supplied. She kept me fed off of popcorn. (laughs) Essential food group for essential personnel. There you go. So Tiffany, tell our listeners how COVID-19 affects your day-to-day practice. So like you have discussed, you know, pregnant patients are still affected by COVID. And I think that every OB group and MFM group has been trying to figure out how do we take care of these patients and how do we reduce the exposure as much as possible for some of our colleagues if we can. I am very fortunate that telemedicine was active in our group before COVID started. So we had a great system. So I have not had to be as exposed as some other people. Um, So many times with our patients, the ICU doctors take over. I do a teleconsult with the patient and discuss some of the pregnancy risks and give some recommendations to the OBGYNs. But a lot of that hasn't had to be face-to-face. So I feel very fortunate compared to some other physicians that you know, you can only limit your exposure so much and PPE only goes so far when you're talking about protecting yourself during this time. Absolutely. So um, I know a lot of my patients, whenever I have to do virtual visits, some of them get a little snappy, like, I thought I was going to see you in person. Well, one, we do try to tell patients, hey, you're going to be seeing the doctor virtually versus in person. But some people get a little bit snazzy. So I will encourage uh, listeners, if you have a virtual consult, like just respect the fact that we're trying to protect you as well as the physician, right? And so the less people you're exposed to, the less likely you are to get COVID. And so that's why um, a lot of systems have moved towards doing either 100% virtual consultations or um, doing... Um, 50% virtual. And so my practice, I still see people, almost everybody face to face, except for preconception, with the exception of the one last week that snuck through and I end up spending an hour with her on a preconception consult <laughs> in person. But for the most part, those kind of like non-urgent things that is just a discussion um, can doesn't have to be seen virtually. I mean, it doesn't have to be seen in person. So that is the benefit of being virtual. So yes, Tiffany- I think also giving some- leeway to your office settings. You know, I I know a lot of places haven't allowed partners to come in. It's been really hard for the partners of your pregnancy. I know that they want to be involved. And at the end of the day, you know, we are trying to do this to protect our staff, to protect you, because every person that comes through has a risk of exposing. So um, just shout out to giving some credit and some assistance to your OB offices that are really trying to do the best they can for you. Absolutely. Um, My office, we still allow visitors. Just one, one extra visitor. I I don't necessarily like it, but uh, it is a patient satisfier. And I don't think patients really understand um, COVID, how it works or how they really need to protect themselves, which is why we're having this conversation today. Exactly. So, so Tiffany, our listeners probably want to know if you're getting the vaccine and why or why not. So I have not gotten the vaccine at the moment. Uh, my husband and I were recently married. We are trying to conceive and some of the information we'll talk about today um, has just put me on the fence a little bit more. 
um, specifically for how this vaccine could potentially affect your pregnancy, whether you get the vaccine or not. So and it is a very personal decision. And so that's why uh, when ACOG says, hey, pregnant women and lactating women should be offered this vaccine. But if they decline the vaccine, they should be deported, uh, supported in that decision. Um, that is a real thing. It is really up to you. And that's why Tiffany and I are having this conversation. And honestly, that's why um, I had her on the podcast because I knew that she was very well researched and I knew that she was going to bring somewhat of a different perspective. Well, there's pros to getting it and there's cons to getting it. And so we have to, <laughs> we have to make our own informed decision. And that's why we're going to inform you today. So Tiffany, why is pregnancy considered a high risk population by the CDC? So let's just start from scratch. Why is it high risk? So in general, when we're talking about infections in pregnancy, um, your body is already in this low immune state. I mean, you are literally having an alien that is leeching everything from you and your body has these mechanisms so that you don't attack this newborn baby that is growing inside of you. So it's not that your body's trying to hurt you by lowering your immune response, it's that it's trying to protect this new growing baby. The virus can cross the placenta. So we are still learning a lot about how that affects the fetus during pregnancy, how that affects the placenta and how it's going to change things going forward. And you already have natural physiologic changes that occur, um, the changes of your respiratory system that happen in pregnancy that we already know put pe pregnant patients with infections at increased risk of pneumonia or other complications or needing to go to the ICU compared to a non-pregnant patient with the same demographics. So with all of that combined, it's already a higher risk state in general. Then when you start adding on this virus that we are still learning new things about every single day, it just is this overwhelming area that I think a lot of people are still confused. Even people that are well-read still have to read the information over and over again. And that's why uh, asking your doctors, they may say, I need to review these references because something new came out last week or yesterday. Um, so it's really important to understand that we're still learning as we go. Your physician is still learning as we go. Absolutely. I tell patients all the time, they'll ask me questions and I'll be like, well, this week, <laughs> in this week's update, this is what it is. Um, next week, it, it could change. And um, in terms of like the restrictions in the hospital and then the restrictions in the office and, you know, things that this thing could cause in your kid later on, like we're, we're learning all of these things as we go. So um, absolutely just have patience and realize that we don't know everything all at once. We are definitely giving you information as we get it, though. So I just remind people, you know, Zika was four years ago, and we still are seeing how that affected pregnancies. Before that, it was the swine flu, and we're still learning about that. So this is not something new in the medical world of seeing new viruses and seeing how it affects pregnancy and seeing how the turnaround. I just think this one has been extra publicized compared to some of the other viruses and infections that we've seen in the past. It, yeah, the pandemic has, I mean, the other viruses in the past weren't caused by a pandemic, but Zika is some real stuff. I mean, you can probably remember all the stuff with Zika. Anytime somebody got a slightly small head, it was, oh my God, do I have Zika? Do I need to be screened for Zika? Exactly. Breathe. breathe. And it now it's like I have a cough. Is it COVID or do I just have a tickle in my throat? Okay. Right. Or do you just have really regular allergies? Like, could you just have normal stuff that's going on? Yeah. Everyday struggle. So um, I have some patients that come in and they're like, 
I don't know about this vaccine, Dr. Plenty, because I feel like when I take the flu shot, I get the flu. And I'm afraid if I get the COVID vaccine, I'm going to get COVID. Can you break down for our listeners how that works? Like, why would somebody think they have the flu after a flu shot? And does the COVID vaccine cause COVID? Yes. So with these vaccines that we give, there are multiple different kinds for different viruses. And you'll see people say whether it's a live virus or not. So most importantly, live viruses are not given in pregnancy because of the risk of getting that infection in the pregnancy. So when you get the flu shot, that is not a live virus. So that is why you get the intramuscular one. Unlike the flu shot, which actually contains dead components of the virus, this is actually an mRNA vaccine. And in fancy words, it is a component to help remake this DNA to make your body kind of have a response so that you don't get sick from COVID later on. It's the easiest way to explain it for those of you that don't speak science or medicine or want to block out your high school health class. The important things about this is that the virus or the mRNA does not actually enter the nucleus, which is that center hub of your cells. And so it does not actually affect the DNA. So that when you see people say it does not cause genetic abnormalities, that is what they mean by that. When people complain about the flu shot and, quote unquote, getting the flu from that, a lot of them are some of the common side effects. And I'm really glad that the CDC has done an excellent job and putting out a list of side effects that people can get from the COVID vaccine, because a lot of them are similar to the flu. You're going to feel tired and fatigued. Um, some people may have a low-grade fever. You may not feel well, and you're going to probably have some discomfort at your arm site. It is a needle pushing something in your body, and your body's going to react. Um, so I think a lot of it is really important for people to understand what is a reaction to getting any kind of injection versus what is actually getting a virus from these. And with these you know, parts of viruses or dead viruses, it's not actually getting that viral infection. I like that. Way to break that down. I like that. And so I talked to high schoolers before I got this. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so yeah, Tiffany is absolutely right. Like I know that she has not gotten the vaccine yet, but, um, I have, I got the vaccine. Um, so we're recording this on a Monday. I got the vaccine two days ago. And um, right now, I only have pain at the injection site. Yesterday, day one afterwards, it was my whole arm was a little bit sore, but I could move it. Today, I could barely tell it's sore. Like, I'm trying to make myself see if it's sore, like pressing on it. Like, okay, I guess it's still sore. Um, But otherwise, I had no symptoms. And everyone that I know that has received the vaccine, including those that are pregnant, haven't had anything further than that. Um, except for one pharmacist that I know who had a lymph node that was swollen under her armpit, but that has since gone away. And she received the vaccine the day before I did. So three days ago. So for the most part, um, most people that I know are, you know, pretty asymptomatic um, from that standpoint. I know you've seen on the news, this whole London scare and how people are rushing out of London now to come over here because of this new strain of COVID-19, right? This weekend, the London officials said, oh, we're shutting it down. It's getting out of hand. This new variant is, you know, spreading faster than the old strain. So we need to shut the country down. And now we have all these people that are coming back over to America because they don't want to be stuck in London. So what do you think about 
this new strain? Do you think that this is something that we should be concerned about? I definitely think it's something of concern. We know in general that viruses are going, when they replicate, they're going to change. They're going to get new strands. And that is why we have COVID-19. This SARS coronavirus is not the first SARS coronavirus that we Mm -hmm. have seen ever. This virus has been known about. It's just this particular strand and how it's acting. And that's why some years even the flu vaccine is better than others because it's predicting which strand of that virus is going to be more active that year. Um, So having new strands is not a new thing. I think the thing that is scariest about the COVID is that it tends to replicate faster. It has spread faster. Um, if you think, I'm a history minor, so let me go a little historical facts for you. If you think back about what has affected populations across this country and across the world, you think back to things like the bird flu in 1918. That wasn't a brand new virus. It's just a different strand. You think about the plague that wiped out the Middle Ages. I mean, these things have been happening throughout history. And I think the important thing is how we react is really going to shape what the world looks like going forward. Um, And that's why people are getting nervous. They don't want to see this repopulate. And honestly, I think other countries don't want to be like the U.S. and doing this game for an entire year. They want to get get over it, per se, and move on with their lives and know that they're safe and not worrying about this coming back and affecting populations again. Absolutely. I'm about to holler. I might... Tiffany has said a word. L- let me tell you something. I agree 100% with whatever, with everything you just said. Um, and I do, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Tiffany and I don't agree 100% of the time about, you know, issues in medicine or, or in history. Just, just saying we don't, but I love you to death. I love you to death. But I definitely agree with that. I definitely think that now the U.S. is not looked at. Um, as leaders in healthcare anymore, they're looked at as we don't want to be like them because we are running rampant right now. And some people wear masks and some people don't. And the laws are very inconsistent. And even people that have, you know, have these restrictions to wear masks in public, they're not, the cities are not regulating them well. And so we still have this virus that's, you know, plaguing everywhere in the U.S. This new variant that we're talking about, which is H69V70, that's the name of the new variant. It's supposed to be spread more uh, rapidly, right? It's more contagious. But there's nothing that says that the people that have this new variant get sicker. So we don't think that people actually get sicker. It's just that a lot more people could possibly get COVID. But people that have just the regular COVID are, are sick. So we don't want people to even get to that level of sickness either. I know that a couple people asked me today about Hey, if we got this vaccine this weekend, now we got this new strain uh, running around. Is this new strain of the virus um, going to be, are we going to be able to catch this new strain if we have the um, vaccine? Meaning, is the vaccine effective against this new strain? Obviously, there's a lot that's going on. This hasn't been studied because this new strain hadn't been around that long. So we think that it will be effective because it is, you know, the vaccine works by basically injects these parts, you know, the spec proteins and your body makes antibodies to different areas of the spec protein. Now, the spec protein hasn't mutated at 100 percent, just different areas on the protein has mutated. So because there are numerous types of antibodies that are against this spec protein, it theoretically still should be effective against this vaccine. But obviously, 
We shall see. We will see. Right now, we don't have a lot of data on this new strain. We'll see if people end up getting infected that have the virus. There'll be other studies on this new strain of the virus. And we'll have, you know, obviously, there'll be mice studies and rat studies or animal studies that they will expose to this new strain. And we'll have data in the months to come. But right now, we can just go by, you know, the theoretical knowledge that we have and how this mRNA vaccine works. And technically speaking, it should work. Okay. Now, with everybody flying from London over here, sort of gives me a little bit of pause. I'm serious. They're flying over here right before Christmas and they're going to be exposed to all their family. And if they're asymptomatic carriers that happen to expose other people, then, then that there's the spread of the strain through the U.S. now. I think a lot of it is going to be watching how countries that have been successful after the past year have done things. So there have been countries that have that have a zero coronavirus number right now. And that to me is just amazing. I mean, I don't have a zero virus in my neighborhood, let alone a whole entire country. So I think countries have watched, especially smaller countries, I feel like have done better that can contain things. I mean, UK is an island, so maybe there's a better shot. But these people traveling, I mean, who knows what that's going to cause. But I think the airports are better prepared now than they were in January and February, too. So you can't go into the airport without getting your temperature checked 50 times and being told to wash your hands 200 times. And, you know, you're getting sanitation wipes to walk on the plane and everyone's in mass. So I'm hoping that that's going to help. Yeah, hopefully so. So, yeah, you're right. It'll depend on the behavior of um, everyone. Everyone has to play their part. So whether you get vaccinated or not, you still got to wear a mask and you still need to wash your hands because you don't know, hey, am I going to be the person that's the exception to this vaccine rule? Like who wants to find out that the vaccine isn't effective? So you still need to, um, you know, do your part in making sure you're reducing your your risk and reducing the risk of spreading it, even if you are an asymptomatic carrier or if you are in a lower risk population. Tiffany, at this portion of the podcast, we discuss cases that have either been emailed or sent to us that are relevant to the topic. So I'd love to get your perspective as well. Our first case is a 38-year-old physician who is breastfeeding her four-month-old child. She's not working yet, but plans to start her new job as an internal medicine physician in January. The hospital at which she is credentialed contacted her to see if she wanted to schedule her COVID-19 vaccine before starting. She's concerned about the lack of studies in pregnancy and breastfeeding. She wants to know if there would be any benefit or risk to her baby if she took the vaccine. I don't know who sent this question in, but I love them. This has been a question that I have debated with our neonatologists and my pediatric friends What are you telling these moms? Of course, you know, ACOG, like we said, has said that it's safe to get in breastfeeding that we know of. We don't know any of the risks to the infant. We do know with prior vaccines that some components of that immunity gets passed on to the baby, potentially through um, the mom. So we don't know exactly what's getting passed through the breast milk. I think that this is probably a safer option. And at this point, I think judging what her job is, she works in internal medicine. I think she needs to have a discussion of what does that look like? 
is she going to be in the ICU? Is she going to be going to the emergency department? Is she going to be rapidly exposed, meaning a high risk physician group among physicians? And most internal medicine docs that I know, they're the ones that are really in that pit of patients and they're seeing them with the ER. So in this case, if it were me, I would, I would get the vaccine. I think she's postpartum. She's several months in. She's going to be bringing stuff home. I guarantee you that she's going to be stripping in the garage, taking her clothes off, showering before she touches her baby. So why not add this extra level? If she doesn't have any other risk factors to this vaccine, I think it's something that she should really consider getting. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had this conversation several times last week um, with several healthcare professionals. And I, I tell them like this, either you are going to be in an environment where you are not really exposed and therefore you don't need the vaccine because you're less likely to take this home to your newborn child, or you are going to get the vaccine to try to lower your risk of catching this thing. So either you eliminate the exposure or you take the vaccine because you're going to be exposed. And so for somebody in internal medicine, yeah, totally agree. Like those are the people, even if you're a hospitalist, like you are rounding on every patient, probably on the COVID ward. So you are constantly exposed to COVID-19. I don't think it's worth the risk of getting COVID-19, especially if you're not pregnant at all. I get not knowing exactly what this does in the pregnancy, but you're postpartum. You're not pregnant. The baby is here. And the the only thing that could happen is you're going to give the baby antibodies versus you're not going to give the baby antibodies because we don't have too many studies about whether those antibodies are actually expressed in the breast milk. But if they are, then that's great because then it could protect your baby from getting severe disease. So I would agree with Tiffany in saying, yes, take the vaccine. Now let's break this down for the lay person. You are not in medicine. You just had your baby four months ago and you have a desk job and you are working at your home office and you are strongly debating that you don't want to take the risk. That person, you're a little bit lower risk. If you don't want to take the risk at that point and you know you're not going to be exposed and bringing something home to your baby, more power to you. Please don't judge that mom. But that hospital personnel, I think it's definitely strongly consider. Right. And the mom wouldn't be judged for taking the vaccine either. But you have right. to know this is your risk. And you have to also know if you're not going to get the vaccine, then you need to do something to reduce your risk. You don't need to be around a whole bunch of people because you don't want to get COVID and be like, dang it, I should have took that vaccine. Well, too late, too, too little, too late. Once you get the, get the virus, but actually you wait 90 days if you get the virus and then you can get vaccinated. But regardless, you could have saved yourself a trip to the, to the hospital if you had gotten it before. Yes. And postpartum moms, this is the time to say, hey, don't come over to my house for the next year because I'm going to stay and keep my house nice and safe from COVID. I think that moms are praising it right now from what I've spoken to my patients. That's true. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Except for moms that have had C-sections because they need the help. True. Listen, as somebody that had a C-section, if my mama wasn't there, like my mama came for my C-section and never left. <laughs> She's still here. Um, she's still here with us. She moved from Indiana to Texas with me. And she now takes care of my son full time. So I definitely think if you have um, a C-section, then you may need the help. So at that point, you should still make sure that whoever's coming in and out of your house is, you know, COVID free or quarantined for a couple weeks before they come over and not really in the public that much. 
Um, but yes, otherwise, other than your help, oh, absolutely, I would limit people coming to my house mm-hmm. for a year. Absolutely. So the case pearl here is um, if you are in healthcare and you are in a high risk environment and you are postpartum, you should consider getting the vaccine. But you have to weigh the risk of your exposure to COVID-19 and contracting the virus versus the risk of the vaccine itself. Any other any other knowledge you would like to add to that, Pearl? Dr. Thomas? Love it. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Our second case. Our second case is a 32 year old woman who is six weeks pregnant. She has a history of type two diabetes. Her hemoglobin A1C is six percent. She also has high blood pressure. She works as a nurse in the ICU, but stopped working when she found out that she was pregnant last week due to concerns about exposure to COVID-19. She will eventually have to return to work. Do you recommend the COVID-19 vaccine for this patient? If so, what are the known side effects? I think it's first important. Let's let's break down her individual risk factors. So she's a diabetic. Her hemoglobin A1C, which basically measures how well your diabetes has been controlled after the three months, it's not horrible. It's not perfect. Um, but I wouldn't put her in the worst of the diabetics. Um, I don't know how her blood pressure is. It says high blood pressure, but you know, is she on medication? Is she on controlled on a low dose? Or she is, is she on five medications? Um, on top of that, she worked in the ICU. I don't care if you're a nurse, a respiratory therapist, the janitor in the ICU that already ups your risk to COVID exposure in general. So this patient's got a lot of hits against her to begin with. I don't know what her situation is. How long is she going to be able to be at work? Is she going to be able to be at work the entire pregnancy and sit at home with her feet up and do some desk job from home? Probably not. There are very few options for nurses to not be in the hospital. Um, So I think in general, she's already got high risk for getting COVID exposure as this pregnancy progresses, and she's only six weeks into it. Um, I think the biggest thing that she's going to have to think about, again, we keep talking about your risk versus your benefits. And for this patient, she has a lot of risk factors against her of not only contracting COVID because she's already around it more than somebody else, but also if she gets COVID, she has a higher chance of getting very sick because of her diabetes and her blood pressure and then her pregnancy on top of that. So this is a patient that really needs to sit down with her doctor, talk about what her life is going to be like for the rest of this pregnancy and really consider getting the vaccine, knowing that, yes, we've talked about side effects. She may be sore for a while. She's going to be tired for a little bit. Maybe get the vaccine, stay at home for a while if you can, and see how you're feeling, and then go back to work or ask to be transferred to outside the ICU, somewhere where your exposure risk is going to be a little bit less. Yeah, um, I don't know. It says she's a nurse, so I don't know if she's like a nurse practitioner in the ICU, but if she's just like a nurse in the ICU, then perhaps she could talk about moving to another unit temporarily so that she's not at such a high risk of exposure. Um, the other piece is, I mean, her hemoglobin A1C is 6%, so it's not that bad. I mean, it's pretty well controlled, but um, she's still a diabetic nonetheless, and she has chronic hypertension nonetheless, and she's pregnant. Um, my biggest thing about this is that she's only six weeks. And so for this patient, because we don't have any data, I would tell her, yes, I eventually would get the vaccine, but I probably would encourage her to wait if she has any reservation until the second trimester. And that's only because when you are, you know, in those early first trimester period when organogenesis is happening, meaning 
your baby's brain and spinal cord are developing, the heart's developing. Like after the 12 to 13th week, like everything is done. And you're just sort of like growing at that point, the baby. But in that first trimester, that's when things are developing. And because we really don't know much about this virus, that would be probably the time that I would be most reserved about the vaccine in that early first trimester. And so for that reason only, I would tell her, Mm, perhaps you want to wait until, you know, after your 13th week to get the vaccine. But I would still encourage her to get it for the reasons that you mentioned, um, Tiffany. And I think that's been a common discussion between the OBs is maybe maybe wait a little bit. If you can wait and decrease some of your other risk factors as you're waiting to get that vaccine, all of those things are going to help you. So moving location, you know, getting your blood pressure well controlled, um, all those things that can decrease your risk in general. So case pearl. If you are in the first trimester, you may want to wait into the second trimester because we don't know much about this virus. In the meantime, until you're in a safer trimester, you may want to consider doing things to reduce your risk of exposure. And that may mean switching duties in your job or staying home until you can then safely get the vaccine. Any other cases? This is an email case. Okay. Dr. Plenty, my husband and I have been trying to conceive for a number of years. We are now seeing a reproductive endocrinologist to undergo IVF. My husband is a pulmonologist and I'm a cardiologist, so we both plan to get the COVID-19 vaccine. But should we wait a certain period of time after getting the vaccine before proceeding with IVF? Excellent email question. I think that right now they're saying that you don't have to delay pregnancy from getting from the time you get to the vaccine. So especially your IVF pregnancies. That being said, it depends on why she's going undergoing IVF. Does she have some other comorbidities on her side that are affecting her pregnancy risk? Is she older? She may not want to wait at all. She may want to go forward and is very nervous that anything she does going forward could affect the risk of her pregnancy in that first trimester. Her husband is a high-risk job. He's a pulmonologist. So he is dealing with these COVID patients probably day in and day out, unless he somehow has some nice outpatient, cushier specialty of pulmonology that I am unaware of. He's probably exposed to it on the daily basis. So I think that, you know, she really is going to have to sit down. This is a hard one um, because she clearly has very high risk. She's clearly really wants to get pregnant and has not been successful. And it's been years. She doesn't want to delay anything. She also probably doesn't want to do anything that she thinks is going to affect her pregnancy going forward. This is a hard one for me. I don't know. I'd love to, Nicole, what are you thinking? I I would think, so what I would tell them is she's not pregnant right now. So for me, I have to weigh the risk of getting the vaccine, getting some immunity now versus getting the vaccine while you're in your first trimester and pregnant versus getting COVID. And so if you're weighing the three of those, you have to figure out, okay, which is worse, right? And so for me, in my opinion, getting COVID-19 is worse than any of the, than the other, right? So if you get COVID-19 and then you end up getting underlying pulmonary disease, well, that just increased your risk above all else. So you don't want that to happen. And you are married to a pulmonologist who is basically in the ICU directly treating COVID patients and you're a cardiologist. So you're probably seeing COVID patients too. And so in my opinion, it would be safer to go ahead before you um, 
went through IVF to get the vaccine, I would wait the period. I wouldn't get pregnant or start my IVF cycle between your two injections. I would I would literally get my vaccine three weeks later, get my second dose, and then you can move forward and um, doing IVF. I think that that's a safer approach if you know for sure you're going to get the vaccine versus waiting until you're pregnant and then getting the vaccine during the pregnancy. Either that or, hey, both of you guys are going to take some type of hiatus and then you get vaccinated after the pregnancy. So that is what I would say. It sounds like they have their minds pretty made up that they're going to get the vaccine. So I would go ahead, do it now, wait a month so you can finish your series and then proceed with your IVF. That's that's what I would um, recommend doing. And I think this is a common question that we've been getting on patients that want to get pregnant and they don't want to wait. You obviously, you know, other than those special endocrinology patients, don't know exactly when you're going to be pregnant. Um, but she does have the benefit of being able to time things around her cycles with her reproductive endocrinologist. So it's definitely probably going to be easier for her than somebody who is saying, hey, honey, we got to take a pause with all of our reproductive stuff and get our vaccines and potentially wait a little bit before we start getting going again. So, Right. And that really depends on, you know, having to come to Jesus with your husband to say, OK, what are we exposed to? You know, is it going to be safer for us to get a vaccine or are we are we not getting exposed on a daily basis? Are we working only outpatient, which. Most pulmonologists, unless you're like in the sleep lab, I can see in the sleep lab, maybe you're not exposed to COVID patient if you're only doing sleep medicine. But if you're not just in the sleep lab, then he's exposed and you're a cardiologist and you're exposed unless you are literally doing outpatient cardiology at all times on super low risk patients that are negative. So uh, that is a tough situation, but you have to have a come to Jesus and say, what's our risk of getting exposed? Because what you don't want to do is get COVID while you're pregnant. Like you don't want to do that. You want to not, right. <laughs> not get COVID. We know that this can, this virus can cross the placenta. The baby can get um, the infection. And we know that the infection can look very different in different pregnancies, ranging anywhere from the placenta looking a little weird to the baby being completely asymptomatic to like interventricular hemorrhages and strokes in babies. I mean, that's a real, you know, that's a real risk. If your baby has a stroke, that can lead to long-term disabilities. So you have to weigh the risk of getting COVID versus getting the vaccine. And right now you're not pregnant. And you can be done with this vaccine before you get pregnant because we don't know how many cycles it's going to take you to get pregnant. I mean, honestly, depending on what stage you're at, if, if you're talking full on IVF, you're, you know, getting some egg retrieval, go ahead, get your egg retrieval, get your vaccine while they're looking at stuff in the lab, get your second vaccine and then get that embryo put in. Right. You're going to get if you're getting pre-implantation genetics, you're going to have frozen embryo anyway and you're going to have to wait for your genetic testing anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you may want to skip a month and and then go through your cycle after that. Yep. Enjoy pregnancy and be safe. Right. Know that you have a very low risk of COVID if you're already vaccinated. We have another question. The last one is, I'm skeptical about getting the COVID-19 vaccine because every time I take the flu shot, I end up with the flu. Why is that? Will getting the COVID-19 vaccine mean that I risk getting COVID-19, but in a milder form? I just want to say, listener, go back to the top. You did not get the flu from your flu shot. Biggest myth. Done. Done. 
you got some fatigue from your flu shot, you got a little fever from the flu shot, you got a little sore arm from the flu shot, you did not get the flu. Maybe you got the flu from a different strain a couple weeks or months later, but it was not the shot alone. So let's go ahead and throw that off the table. Well, getting the COVID vaccine mean you're at risk of getting a milder form? It's That's not what it's looking like. Right now, it's looking like the vaccine is, is very effective. Um, so I think the chances of really getting COVID after the vaccine are pretty low from the studies that we're seeing right now. Yeah, so um, I know that everybody, and as I said before, people come in all the time saying they're not going to take the dang on flu shot because it's going to cause the flu. There are different strains of the flu, okay? The flu shot does not vaccinate you against every single strain of the flu, okay? COVID, we're hoping that this COVID-19 vaccine works because antibodies are created, multiple antibodies are created to this spec protein. And so the whole spec protein didn't mutate. So it should still be effective. And the flu shot is not a live vaccine and neither is a COVID-19 vaccine. Case in point, you will not get the flu or COVID from these vaccines. They are killed. They are not alive. That doesn't mean you're not going to get some other upper respiratory infection. It doesn't protect you against every strand of the flu. It does not. Right now, we only know a couple of strains of COVID-19, and it will protect you against those. But who knows? In six months, there may be something else, and it doesn't protect you against that. It's only vaccinating you for the strains that the vaccine was created for. I hope that answers your the, the listener's question. And if you decide not to get the COVID vaccine, we are not going to judge you. Nobody should judge you. Like we've said, this is a personal decision, and you've got to sit there and know that you're making the best decision for you and your family. Completely agree. But I do want to encourage people, either one of two things, I keep on saying, these are the choices you have. You either have to decrease your risk of exposure or get vaccinated. And right now, the vaccine is only available to people that are in those high exposure groups. So if you are working in a hospital, cleaning an ICU room, delivering trays to the room, um, a nurse in the ICU or on the floor taking care of COVID patients, a physician that's in fields that's taking care of COVID patients. Those are patients that are getting this done first. So if you want to say, let me see what happens to the doctors first. Okay, well, you can say that because realistically, you are not being offered the vaccine yet. So you can realistically just wa wait and see and watch. And then the next phase next month will be to high risk people. So people that have underlying heart disease, have a history of diabetes um, or over age 60, mm -hmm. um, those people that are in that high risk group, meaning if you get the virus, you will be more likely to have severe illness requiring hospitalization or die than those that don't have those risk factors. And then after that is going to be open to the public, hopefully. So those are the phases. So you probably have at least uh, a month or two before it's even available, before they even start really saying you can start getting it. So you have some time to wait and see um, what will happen to those first two tiers of people um, that get it. So I just want people to make an informed decision and know why or why not they're getting or not getting the vaccine. Because I've heard so many people say that reason, because of the freaking they're afraid of getting COVID from the vaccine. There's a distrust of the healthcare system from people that are of African-American descent. And I get that. I get the Tuskegee studies and things like that. But that is why IRBs were made, institutional review boards. And that's why things have to be FDA approved now. 
No one can really experiment on you anymore. But I understand it's like generational mistrust of the healthcare system. Um, but I want you to be well-informed and know why or why not. And as long as you're well-informed, I'll respect your decision. But I just don't want you to have faulty information as the reason that you're not getting this vaccine or the reason that you are. Agree. And now's the perfect time. You're having your Zoom Christmas. Let's start talking about the COVID vaccine with your family members. So that's a great let's have idea. a little discussion. Great idea. Bring up the podcast. Make sure to tell them to listen. <laughs> so Tiffany, thanks so much for joining the conversation today and giving us your professional opinion about the COVID-19 vaccine pros and cons. So please tell our listeners how they can follow you. So lucky listeners, I have just started my own page because, you know, I'm inspired by these lovely ladies. So you can follow me on Facebook at OB with Dr. as in D-R-T on Instagram with the same hashtag or email me at OB with Dr. T at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to have your questions. Awesome. Also, um, Dr. Thomas May, if patients want to see you, tell them how they can find you or schedule an appointment. Yes, we have multiple offices across the Tampa Bay area. So I do work at multiple hospital systems in this area. So really, I tell everyone with any MFM, you go to your OB, get a referral, you can find us. I'm the only Dr. Thomas May in the U.S., I'm proud to say. Oh, I say it that way. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only Dr. Plenty. Maybe I'm the only one that's an MFM. You're not the only Dr. Plenty in your household. So well, not in my household. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for listening to the Pregnancy Pearls podcast. Go ahead and share the podcast and this episode with your friends and family who are pregnant, planning to get pregnant, or who want or need women's health tips. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production.